0: Squeaky Clean listeners, welcome to the 73rd episode of the Squeaky Clean Energy Podcast, where we bring you the latest in North Carolina clean energy news, policy, and more every two weeks. On today's episode, I'm excited to dive into a topic that's been the 400-pound gorilla in the room for the solar industry over the last couple of years, which is trade and tariffs. As many of our solar friends are well aware, we've seen a number of tariffs levied against foreign manufactured panels. And we've just had a big announcement related to the future of tariffs on imported solar panels. So stay tuned to see what this means for the industry moving forward. Before we talk to our guests, though, we have a few announcements to share. First up, we've got a big deadline coming up this Friday. Comments are due on the carbon plan proceedings at the North Carolina Utilities Commission on July 15th in which advocates like NCSEA will have the opportunity to respond to Duke's draft proposal filed back on May 15th and propose alternative modeling outlining an electric generation future that meets the legislatively mandated 2030 70% emissions reductions deadline. On our next episode, we'll include an update on what some of those reply comments looked like and what may lie ahead for the carbon plan proceedings. Furthermore, The North Carolina Utilities Commission is also hosting a series of public hearings over the coming few weeks and months, so this is a great opportunity to listen in and provide feedback on the carbon plan proceedings. On July 27th, there will be a hearing in Asheville, July 28th in Charlotte, and August 23rd will be virtual and available to all. In other exciting news, NCSEA just released the 2022 North Carolina Solar Land Use and Agricultural Report. In this report, NCSEA compared data collected via our Renewable Energy Database against the National Land Cover dataset to determine how much agricultural land in the state was occupied by solar development. The data showed that solar has a minimal impact on agricultural land in the state, especially compared to other redevelopment activities like single-family housing developments. In fact, according to the report, Solar only occupies 0.12% of the total land area in the state and 0.28% of agricultural land. I'll repeat that number 0.28% of agricultural land. That's less than 1%. Compare that to single family housing, golf courses, and parks, which comprise 7.18% of redeveloped ag land in the state. A link to the full report can be found in the show notes. Okay, on to the show. As we teed up at the beginning of the episode, there's been a lot of activity taking place on the trade front, leading to some pretty big market swings due to the unpredictability of future solar pricing. Well, just a few weeks ago, we received some good news from the federal administration that creates at least a little bit of a short-term reprieve for the solar industry. That update and more on today's episode of the Squeaky Clean Energy Podcast. Hey. Clean. Energy. Woo. Clean, 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 clean energy today's guest on the squeaky clean energy podcast oversees all of the solar energy industries associations internal and external communications efforts including media relations external affairs marketing digital and social media efforts and others to name a few Our guest comes to SIA after more than 15 years as an energy and environmental journalist, including as a Bloomberg Energy News reporter in Washington, where he covered legislative, regulatory, and financial aspects of U.S. climate and energy policy debates. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Dan Witten, Vice President of Public Affairs with the Solar Energy Industries Association. Dan, welcome to the podcast. Great to be here, Matt. So to start off the conversation here today, can you tell us a little bit more about your organization, SIA, and what it is that your group does in the clean energy market.
1: Yeah, so Solar Energy Industries Association is a national trade association for uh, solar companies across the entire supply chain. Um, so we represent um, installers, uh, both rooftop distributed generation and large-scale solar generation. Um we represent um, manufacturers, um, racking companies, tracking companies. Basically, if you're in the solar business, there's a decent chance that you're a member of SIA.
0: I think a lot of folks might might know your organization too as, as the group that hosts the annual formerly Solar Power International Conference and now RE+, uh, which I hope to have the opportunity to see a lot of our listeners out this year. And I believe it's Anaheim, California coming up in September. So um, thanks again for for hosting that uh, great event, one of the largest solar events in the world uh, every single year. So the majority of the conversation here today, and part of the reason why we have you on the podcast, is to talk about a topic that's been top of mind for a lot of folks in the, the solar industry over the past couple of years. And specifically, we're talking about trade and international trade. There's been a lot of unpredictability as it relates to tariffs, supply chain, and others that have led to some real challenges for the industry over the past couple of years. There have been numerous actions we've seen from the federal government levied against China, more specifically. So can you walk us through some of the tariffs imposed against the Chinese market um, prior to some of the more uh, recent happenings that we'll talk about here in just a little bit?
1: Yeah, if I may, I just want to say that we couldn't be more excited to be hosting RE Plus this year in Anaheim. We've missed the last two years, and it's been a real loss for the industry and the loss for our, all of our ability to to get together and see each other. So um, thank you for mentioning that. With regard to the tariffs, there is a, a, a long and growing history. First, tariffs involving China were imposed in 2012. There is another set of tariffs in 2014. Those tariffs covered anti-dumping and countervailing duties. They also included Taiwan in the tariff regime. Those are the only two tariffs in effect for China. Subsequently, at least with regard to solar cells and panels, there are all kinds of tariffs on different parts uh, that are are potentially in the solar supply. So starting then from the 2014 uh, tariffs... Uh, There was a new tariff case brought by several small sort of floundering U.S. manufacturers under Section 201 of the International Trade Act. This is a set of tariffs that don't actually allege that anybody did anything wrong. It's just a a policy that allows for tariffs that might... it's, It's intended to be relatively short time and it's intended to allow... Uh, US manufacturing to get established and these tariffs are imposed against every country in the world save for a few developing countries. And so the Section 201 tariffs have been in effect I think since 2018. Uh, There was a second round of them at a lower rate that were started earlier this year. Those are still in effect. And then separately... The Oxen case took root. Essentially, we're dealing with the
0: Oxen case now as sort of the primary tariff issue on our plate. So let's just talk about the impact of some of those tariffs that you have mentioned over the past you know, 10 or so years. One of the big trends that we were seeing for quite some time with, with modules was pricing continued to decrease as module efficiencies had increased. What sort of bigger picture impacts did these tariffs have on module pricing and the industry at large in terms of deployment? And then also, did we see a resurgence in domestic module manufacturing as a result of some of these tariffs?
1: We've not seen a big resurgence in module manufacturing as a result of any tariffs that have taken place. Tariffs tend to be a blunt instrument. Um, There are all kinds of policies that are actually under consideration right now that could significantly boost solar manufacturing. But we don't believe in general that tariffs are the right tool. The impacts of the tariffs to date have been, especially the 201 tariffs, have probably prevented us from growing at as fast a pace as we could have. And that's really what's at issue. I mean, solar is becoming competitive with any other fuel in most of the country. And so when you think about new generation, solar is the number one source of new generating capacity now over the last couple of years and likely to be going forward. The question is, are we growing enough to help really tackle the climate crisis and create a clean energy economy that will employ hundreds of thousands of Americans and and, and really fuel our economy going forward. And, and so what we look at when we see the tariffs now is more opportunity loss than significant destruction of demand. We could be doing so much better. The demand is high. It's going to have a little hiccup in 2022, 2023 because of the auction case, even if it gets dismissed, but we expect to grow substantially with good policies. And so that's what we're hoping for going forward.
0: I think it's a good time to to talk about a little bit of what's going on in North Carolina. As our listeners know, we've spent quite a bit of time on our past couple of episodes talking about House Bill 951, which led to a carbon plan, uh, down at the North Carolina Utilities Commission, in which Duke Energy just recently proposed their own carbon plan. And and I think, you know, of note, NCSEA and a number of our partners have commissioned studies in the past that already show solar is the lowest levelized cost of energy here within the state of North Carolina, even beating out natural gas, especially when you account for the volatility in the fuel market with natural gas and coal. And in these recently proposed carbon plans, there's been artificial caps Instated on utility scale solar deployment here in the state of North Carolina, even though customers are demanding it, developers are are pushing for it. So you know, I think we're we're already seeing a lot of momentum on our side, even aside from some of the previous tariffs that have been levied against solar, and it's still not impacted it being the lowest cost of energy here in the state of North Carolina. But so, Dan, in some of your comments that that you mentioned, uh, you specifically have talked about the Oxen petition. So I think now's a good time to to address it, talk about some of the recent developments. So just as, as a quick background for our listeners, a small domestic panel manufacturer uh, based out in California called Oxen Solar uh, recently petitioned the U.S. Commerce Department to impose new tariffs on solar modules imported from Cambodia, Malaysia, Thailand, and Vietnam. So the, the complaint alleges that Chinese companies were circumventing the tariffs imposed on the Chinese and Taiwanese markets by assembling their panels in those countries while at the same time still sourcing the materials from China. So back in March, Department of Commerce began an investigation into those claims, and now we've recently received word from the president himself about how the administration plans to proceed in the near future related to this complaint and new tariffs on solar in general. So can you tell us a little bit more about this announcement and what it means for the solar industry as a whole right now?
1: Yeah. So uh, just first thing is that that the case is still very much alive and the Commerce Department is expected to make a preliminary determination by the end of August. We feel very strongly that the standard for circumvention has not been met and that the allegations are preposterous. The standard is that in order for circumvention to take place, the work being done in the, in the countries named has to be minor and, sig- and in, insignificant. And in those four countries, uh, Vietnam, Thailand, Malaysia, and Cambodia, they do full cell making and they do panel assembly. Cell making has been established as what determines the country of origin for solar products. And so the work that's being done in those four countries is, is not minor and insignificant. It's the opposite. And billions of dollars have been spent establishing manufacturing in those four countries. So we think on the, on the merits that the case is, is not a good case and that it needs to be thrown out. So I just wanted to establish that. Going to your question about the president's action... I think that the industry as a whole did a good job of communicating the impacts of this case. 80% of the companies in the United States had jobs that were either canceled or significantly delayed just because of the uncertainty created by this case. We were looking at potential tariffs in the 50% to 250% range. And so nobody knew what panels were going to cost. Nobody knew what the jobs were going to cost. Um, Nobody knew what timelines were for delivery. And so as a result, the market froze, literally froze. We still predict that there will be significant delay or cancellation of projects just because the case was initiated. But what the president did, and and we're grateful for it, is that he created a two-year window where tariffs will not be raised tariffs will not be charged retroactively. So there's a bit of business certainty over the next two years where we know what everything's going to cost. We pay the market price and we are able to continue with deployment, hopefully at a, at an increasing pace over the next two years. That's it in a nutshell. But as I say, there's a lot of, there's a lot to, to sort of Go over in the interim uh, that we need to resolve for the industry in order for us to grow in the way that we should.
0: You talked about providing that that business certainty in the next two years. I mean, we've we've already seen, as you mentioned, numerous projects uh, halted or completely canceled uh, due to the the previous uncertainty. But it also sounds like after this, after these next two years, there still is an ongoing investigation from Department of Commerce where we might you know, hear those results in August, where new tariffs could potentially come up after that two-year period that, that the Biden administration just issued. So does that still create some uncertainty for the market? And what, what comes next after this two-year period?
1: Yeah. So first of all, again, we don't think that there are grounds for this case. So we, we hope Commerce will decide that um, you know, circumvention isn't taking place, and the, and the market will hopefully kind of return to its to its growth. I think the, um, the thinking behind the two years is at least companies will be able to plan, will have a sense of what the tariff rates are, and will be able to make business decisions based on information. It may not be information that we like, but at least they'll know, and the market will have a glide path. Again, that's not the outcome we want. What we want is we want the tariffs to be eliminated, the petition to be rejected, and for us to move on. And and I want to say here that nobody disagrees about the importance of American manufacturing. There is, in the reconciliation legislation in Congress, maybe you're going to get to this, but there's a big provision called the Solar Energy Manufacturers for America's Act it would provide significant incentives for U.S. manufacturing. It would be the kind of policy that we need in order to really establish a firm manufacturing base across the entire supply chain. And we just feel very strongly that that legislation has to get over the finish line. And we are committed to a strong American manufacturing supply chain. So it's not either or. It's going to probably be both for Pretty long time.
0: Especially to meet the the demand for the growth of, of solar within the US and internationally to meet you know carbon reduction goals, climate goals across the world. So you know I think you provided an important clarification there about the importance of domestic solar manufacturing. So as part of Biden's executive actions, there was a piece in there uh, designed to bolster domestic solar manufacturing as well. Can you tell us a little bit about what some of those measures included? So
1: as part of the Biden announcement on June 6th, there are provisions that freed up the Defense Production Act as an opportunity to encourage um, U.S. manufacturing. Here again, it's not an all or nothing policy. This is a very important building block toward encouraging more US manufacturing. And part of it is federal procurement, federal commitments that there'll be certain amount of demand. There are programs that you could envision that would um, include pooling of resources with municipalities where they might be able to make longer term commitments. You know, certainly military is a huge customer. So the procurement piece of it across the board is not a small uh, commitment. there are opportunities there for workforce development, which is critical. There are opportunities for grants, loan guarantees, you know partnerships. So the Defense Production Act has a lot of potential to to provide ballast for the u s. solar manufacturing industry that will allow it to sustain over time. By itself, it's not enough. Um, we really need the legislation I talked about earlier to provide support for manufacturing investments directly.
0: So let me let me step back and ask a, a bigger question here, kind of given the, the horizon and landscape of what's going on related to solar policy. So a couple of things that come to mind <clears throat> that I, I think I would like to get your perspective on what the industry is gonna look like in two to three years. So a lot of our listeners know starting next year, the federal renewable energy tax credit phases down to 22% and then is set to expire in 2024. At that same time, uh, we'll be running up against the end of that that two-year reprieve that the Biden administration announced for new tariffs. So we could be walking up against potential new tariffs. So what is what is the bigger outlook look like for the, the solar industry with all of these sort of impending policy changes over the next two to three years.
1: You're reminding me of all the challenges that, that lie ahead for us and and it's making me anxious. Certainly we we look at that time frame and it, it makes you know it makes us um you know more determined. And we think that we can get policy over the finish line this year through the Reconciliation Act that will extend investment tax credit over a long period of time. Senators Manchin and Schumer are still having conversations about language that could get over the finish line in the Senate, and we're hopeful that that happens. So we're hoping by the end of the next year, we're not going to hit that cliff or not going to need to negotiate for an extra year, an extra two years. We're hoping to have solid policy before the end of this year that will extend the ITC. Again, as part of that policy, there are other provisions for solar that really could support growth in the industry. You know, clean energy support for EVs, support for storage, storage ITC would be absolutely critical. So getting that over fin- the finish line will will provide some reassurance for everybody. And then on the trade side, again, we're just fighting day to day to get policy bad policy out and, and get good policy in. And you know, in a perfect world, we're all celebrating really intensely over the at the end of this year for the things that we got done. That's the hope. We want to get it done this year. So we're aware of what could lie ahead under under a negative
0: scenario and we're just focusing our energy on fighting that. Well, and if the past is any indication, I, I feel, you know, fairly confident about the direction the industry is moving. I mean, we've already previously you know, like we just announced, we just saw the, the, the two-year waiver on any sort of new tariffs. We've previously been able to extend the federal investment tax credit. So, you know, I think there, there's, there's a lot of room for, for hope and optimism there. And especially, you know, right now, I think the, the industry is in a really good position in the, in the short run. And we're, I think we're at an inflection point right now where we need to be deploying as much solar, as much clean energy across the grid as possible and we're seeing states really take the lead on on these actions. I, you know, in our conversation prior to starting to record, you know, we mentioned that North Carolina last year passed House Bill nine fifty one, which uh, created the first carbon reduction mandates on the books for a southeastern state to get us to seventy percent carbon reductions by twenty thirty within the electric utility sector. We're seeing those actions take place all across the country, which. Creates that market, creates that demand for for solar deployment across the country. So, I, I feel really good about the short-term prospects of of the solar industry, and uh, have a lot of confidence in you and your team to continue to advocate for a you know a long-term prospect and horizon of of policies that continue to uh, create a market for for this industry. So. With that being said, I guess I want to circle back around. Are are there any other points related to the Oxen petition that we didn't cover that you wanted to make sure we did cover?
1: You know, there's been a lot of noise by a very small fraction of the solar industry agitating for tariff policies that only protect those companies or those entities and do not support a robust vital growing solar industry and so um i've been disappointed by some of the some of the stuff i've read which is really disingenuous and bogus uh at the same time i'm heartened by the way that our industry has come together to to fight this i'm also heartened uh, frankly that some of the companies who we disagree with from time to time we're in full agreement with about US manufacturing and the need to get policies over the finish line. So it's a great industry to be with, be in. Uh, you know, your optimism about us being able to get things done um, is spot on. And, you know, I am really confident about, about the future. So uh, the market's there, there's no question. We're gonna grow if we just get out of our own way. And so I'm really optimistic that we're going to get there, uh, that we're going to find our way through, uh, and that we're going to have a really strong um, solar industry to help at- address the climate crisis and yeah create economic opportunity. So I'm, you know, again a little disappointed in how the Oxen case has come about, but um, overall just super optimistic.
0: Well, that's always great to hear optimism coming from somebody that's that's you know. Insider politics and knows what's going on in the hallways of, of Capitol Hill. <laughs> Hearing your optimism, uh, you know, is is a really good sign about the the future of the industry and the direction that we're taking. So, I'm I'm really excited about the conversation that we had today, Dan, and I'm looking forward to either you know having you or or some of your colleagues back on in the future to give us updates on the future of some of these tariff cases and what's to be expected from any sort of potential legislation that moves forward at the federal level. So. Dan, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the Squeaky Clean Energy Podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Matt.
0: I really enjoyed it. And my key takeaway from today's episode is while we still have a large bit of uncertainty ahead, especially as we look at 2024 and beyond, we have a great opportunity in front of us now to extend and expand the policies that have been instrumental to growing the solar industry over the past 15 or so years and has led to a position of solar now as the lowest cost of energy on the market. In an episode in the very near future, we'll be featuring a guest who plans to give us a deep dive into the progress happening in the halls of Congress as it relates to a new clean energy deal. And who knows, by the time that episode comes out, we may already have something on the books. So make sure to stay tuned to find out what's on the table and what it could potentially mean for North Carolina and the Southeast. And you know the deal. Let's stay in touch on Twitter. Give me a shout at Matt Abel for future episode ideas, questions for our next episode, thoughts on today's episode, and your worst energy joke one-liners. And episode 73 of the Squeaky Clean Energy Podcast is in the books. But before you leave, don't forget to rate, subscribe, and share the pod on whatever platform you are listening in from. Sharing this podcast with your network and growing the friends of the pod helps us get just a little bit closer to our shared vision of a clean energy economy from North Carolina. All right, that's it. See y'all later.